Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Oscillator Stone. Today's guest is founder and head teacher of the Remember Institute, eclectic musician and a minister of metaphysical science, Reverend Bridge Feltus. In this episode, we talk about how Bridge uses the ancient philosophies of North Africa to facilitate healing from the cultural traumas of colonialism, racism, sexism, and all other forms of ism, not least of all the internal kind of oppression. This one's a two-parter because once we started talking, we just could not seem to stop. I've also added three songs from Bridge's second album, Mother Lover Goddess Beast, which tells the story of the unfolding and ever-changing feminine principle of the universe. This first song is called World on Fire. Enjoy! You gon' set the world on fire You gon' set the world on fire You gon' set the world on fire 
I like Bridge, but no, we don't say Bridge. My name okay. is Bridget, and everybody calls okay. me Bridge. <laughs> okay. Bridge. Awesome. I like that. Bridge is one of the, um, speaking of syncretism and, and the, the link between Africans and Celtic people, um, which we were talking about before we started recording, um, the goddess Bridge or Brida, there's a lot of ways that you can pronounce it. Um, in Catholicism, she's Saint Bridget. Um, mm -hmm. In Voodoo, she's Mama Brigitte. Um, but it's it's said to be all the same goddess that um, yes. was adopted into um, sort of when when the Irish, uh, I think, so some Irish indentured servants ended up in the Caribbean, <laughs> and so did some uh, so did African because, people because um, the Irish people were the black people of Europe. Yeah, basically, yes. So a lot of very interesting <laughs> things ensued in the Caribbean as a result of those two um, ethnicities occupying the same space and, and being oppressed by the same people. And um, and the goddess Bridge or Brida or uh, Bridget or however you want to say, um, became syncretized into um, the sort of African pantheon, which was, you know, because they already have... There, there, so much. There's already so much overlap with most Earth-based religions because we all inhabit the same Earth. Well, Who would have thought it? it? Earth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, and our our variations why... really are about our our environment. You know, like yeah. if you lived more in the mountains, you'd have a few differences because of that, or mm -hmm. cold weather, or the yeah, desert. Coastal people tend to have sure. common themes, like. Even mm -hmm. if you're on a different coast, there are still coastal themes to your spiritual mm -hmm. practices. Mountain people definitely have a vibe. I went to visit the mountains, which I'm now moving to in a couple months. And I was like, oh, I needed this mountain vibe. Like I've been looking for this specific vibe, mm -hmm. which you can only find amongst people who live in the mountains. Yes. Um, you know, it's when I went to, to Maine, I was like, oh, everybody here feels like a pirate. I don't know how else to explain that. They just, you just feel like a pirate to be Maine. 
that's just how you feel. And like, it makes sense because of the colonial history of Maine and the fact that it's like a coastal port kind of, you know, trade vibe. It's also, this is speculative, but um, someone told me that the uh, when Pangaea was a thing, Maine and Ireland were a part of the same um, landmass. Yes. And so they have this kind of similar, <laughs> like, uh, weird, coastal, rocky vibe. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah absolutely. comes from being in, in connection with, with your actual environment. And so anyway, absolutely. that's a bit of a tangent there, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's a tangent. I, I and I want to also point out. You said this is speculative. Well, yes, and all stories are speculative in that they come from the perspective of a particular uh, experience, right? So we could be you and I could be in the same place watching the same event happen and have completely different stories of it based on where we come from, how we see our, our, whatever our psychological or even physical uh, filters are. So, yeah. Yeah. We're all no, speculating. That's, true. that's true. That's true. <laughs> I like to do this. I like to do a little disclaimer that, you know, this is speculative or like, so I've heard because, not, not enough podcasters, in my opinion, operate with that degree of humility. And I'm trying to Absolutely. normalize, you know, like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> There's so much I don't know. I got schooled so hard today and I loved it because I posted something about um, someone made was like, oh, all of these different um, uh, esoteric systems are just repackaged Platonism. And I was like, well, first of all, Hermeticism, but they were like Hermeticism, Buddhism, blah blah blah. They're all just repackaged Platonism, and I'm just like, hmm, you've got this a little bit backwards, my right. friend. Um, hmm. And I kind of said, <laughs> I said, this is wrong. Like these things come from different cultures. Here's the cultures that they come from. And then someone came in and said, like, yes, you're right. And <laughs> these people were in contact with each other for a very long time because they were actually quite advanced. And so, yeah. yes, they are kind of all, you know saying the and same Plato, thing because they were connected to each other. And so I was like, all right, fair. <laughs> completely. And and Plato was a student of Hermeticism for sure. He was definitely spending yeah. a lot of time in the library at Alexandria, something like 24 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 24 years is a long time to spend studying in one place. Mm -hmm. And so it would be obvious to me that that very much influenced him considering what I yeah. know about hermeticism and cometicism. Um, everything he describes is really that. And, and really like even, Oh, this is going to be a little controversial maybe, but <laughs> even the, the Abrahamic religions are founded in those, those principles and, and practices. So just saying I can, we're all related. I mean, it's true. It's true. But I, I mean, the thing I was really advocating for in that discussion was honoring the diversity of the origin points of these different traditions. And a lot of people, you know, want, will, will say, 
that the similarities are more important than the differences. And I would argue that, you know, I push against that and I would say, were it not for the differences, the similarities would not be meaningful at all. Um, you know, there's, true. yeah, because how we relate is through, you know, this as well, because you're a hermeticist, but like, um, separation and connection are, 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 are not different from each other. You know, like we relate because we have differences. We relate because there's tension. Oh, sure. Um, so, you know, so I was I'm, I'm really a hobby to... chef. I love to cook. And so, you know, I think about it through that lens when you're cooking. I mean, yes, you can take the same, the same exact ingredients in different amounts and prepare them in different ways. And you have completely different dishes that people don't even relate to each other as the same yeah. ingredients. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So this is true about life, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very is. much so. Yeah. So, so where I'm are we going today? <laughs> let's fucking find out. Um, so I'm going to read to you verbatim my notes um, from our last conversation. And just for my listeners, in case I decide to keep this in, which I often do decide to keep the like little side conversations in because I think they're funny. Um, and, and again, with the humility thing of like, I don't like things to come off too polished because um, one, just trying to challenge my own perfectionism that I inherited and, and, and really trying to heal that myself and also offering to others, like, it's okay to be a little bit messy. And there's something really beautiful about that, you know, the whole wabi-sabi mm. thing. Um, yeah. So, and also, I specifically want to talk to you about Sankofa, because I knew what that was, but I didn't know about the bird symbol until you posted it. And I was like, oh, I'm getting that tattooed. Like, that's literally my life. <laughs> I am the, I'm that bird as fuck. So I really want to talk mm. about that with you. And, and, and this whole like people being addicted to progress in our culture and moving forward and, and abandoning the past as if it's some sort of like thing we should be ashamed of and calling old things primitive and how we can actually move forward, um, you know, not forgetting that egg on our backs to, to directly reference the symbol. Um, so that I wanna throw in there. But uh, so what we talked about last time, we talked about sensation frames uh, yeah. and why they're important for anti-racist work, which, you know, there's mainstream anti-racism, which is totally inflammatory, and then there's anti-racism that actually works. Um, and the <laughs> sensation frames thing that you were talking about last time, I feel is really important for any kind of like, you know, whether it's decolonial stuff, anti-racist stuff, whether it's like none of that stuff at all. And it's like things like, uh, class consciousness, like any any mm -hmm. sort of philosophical framework, I think is going to need to integrate and understand the sensation frame. Uh, and, you know, I have a good friend, Essie Wildcat, who you might know. Um, I do. Of course I know Essie. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. The whole my friend. Life. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> okay. That actually makes so much sense. Um, the whole uh, radical aliveness framework, I think, is pretty similar to this. And so I would love to talk about that a little bit many phases of hermeticism and then I also wrote black suspicion which I think I know what that's referring to um, uh, <laughs> yeah love to talk about your course and like what you offer to people uh the heal thyself 
uh, framework, you called yourself a white whisperer, and I was like, wow. <laughs> I believe you just said that. <laughs> I straight up want to talk about the, that, that the okay, whole like, white whisperer thing. Yeah, we can talk about um, <laughs> cool. Yeah. This 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 podcast is not for the faint of heart, just to be clear. <laughs> we so, talk about well, what we talk about. We can start there and just get it out of the way. I'm I'm I have a background in which my, my parents come from very humble backgrounds. Um, my mother's from Mississippi. My father is from Bakersfield, California, which is about two hours outside of LA, Central California, where all the produce for the Western United States is produced. And so he's a farmer and a cowboy. And, <laughs> and so I grew up with these family, these two families that are very close to the earth. Uh, my mom, her family is also farmers and, you know, they make it, they, they used to make everything, you know, make their own clothes and grow their own food and all that kind of stuff. That's how I grew up. And so they come from this uh, generation of people who thought that to overcome the racism of this country, that there were certain things you had to do. You make sure that your kids have a good education. And they thought that having a good education meant putting their children into private schools that were predominantly white. Because at the time, in the 70s, I'm old, <laughs> in, the, in the 70s, um, the better schools were the private schools and most of the black families could not afford those schools. So they were predominantly white just by nature of economic exclusion. So I went to all white school schools where there were very few black kids. And so I, I have a very intimate relationship with whiteness, right? So um, I also have a, a white stepmother and I have some German family because my uncle uh, from probably around 19 years old lived in Germany for most of his life. And so I, I, I am close with his children and, you know, they're German born Afro-Deutsch people. And so I have a lot of, and I've lived in Europe. So I have a lot of connection to uh, white cultures. I, I've studied a lot and please have going personal. Way, and I just need to <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> have personal relationships, and you know, made it a point to actually practice intimacy with the people that I come into contact with. So, and I'm a psych major. So I was a psych major in college, and. I'm a metaphysician as well. So I have a lot of interest in human behavior and the human psyche. And so understanding white supremacy was very important for me uh, because it affected my life so much, it affected the lives of my family so much in my community. I grew up in Compton, California. Um, and so, you know, predominantly black community at the time. And so I wanted to understand, you know, I had a very curious mind. I wanted to understand what is this, what is happening here? And what I realized was that there's so many levels to whiteness that we don't really understand. 
And he, at, at least at this point, most people don't think about the fact that whiteness is not a real thing, that it was something that was made up in order to create separation between the common folk who are descendants of Europe and the common folk who are descendants of Africa in this country. And also the, the uh, brown peoples from, from this continent, uh, the indigenous people from this continent and other continents as well who are not European. So that creation of separation made it possible for white supremacy to flourish and for oppression to flourish as well. So it, it was really important for me to understand, like, why would people go along with that when they can see that it's not right? Well, they went along with it because it made it possible for them to survive. Um, Irish people were were treated very badly up until the point where it was decided, okay, you are no longer going to be considered the lowest rung on the ladder now that we're here in America. You become white, you are European, so you are white now. You cannot uh, associate with or support in any way, shape or form um, in relationship with, with the Africans who are here as slaves from human trafficking. Um, you're now, you're still <laughs> lower class or considered, you know, low on the on the ladder, but you have some privilege that those people do not have. So, and and that is a point of violence and a need to survive, right? That violence. So there are ways that people think about America that it's this powerful country and nobody thinks of how it got that way, really. Um, there's things about Europe even where I, I hear a, a lot of people these days talking about the healthcare systems, for example, in Europe and how um, they have better healthcare systems than we have and they have universal healthcare. And nobody's asking, well, why can they do that? Why, why is that possible there and it's not possible here? Well, they have more more money available, less money going into uh, things like military and things like that. But they are also they're also having uh, collecting riches from all of the places they've colonized. So they're not only collecting from their own resources in their own on their own land. They're collecting from the Caribbean and India and. The, the South Pacific and Asia and from everywhere around the world, white supremacy has created the possibility for Europe to do things that other places haven't been able to do because they just don't have the power yet and the, and the, the accumulated knowledge. Meanwhile, the people in Europe have no idea that's what's happening. They're, they, they think their countries are just powerful and rich, just... <laughs> They don't have to think about any of that. That's one of the symptoms of white supremacy is you don't have to think about where your power is coming from. You think it's innate. You think it's because you were born into it. Well, that's not really true. Mm. It's it's yeah. stolen. Right. Well, this is especially so. fascinating to me um, as some, someone who's... Um, 
I, I am an occultist syncretist. I, mm -hmm. I work with people around ritual magical practice. And um, one of the biggest things themes for me right now happens to be, and I was kind of thrust into this, right? And it was so obvious for my whole life. And I am just now kind of like, oh, 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 you know, because there's so much pain, you know, I mean, I guess the self-deprecating joke I could make is that uh, my ancestry is like all of the oppressed peoples of the world just got thrown in a bag and the bag was shaken up and then you threw whatever was out in the bag out and you got me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so there's so much pain to sort through before you can actually tap into your true ancestral power. And so I work with runic magic. That's like one of my pillars of this work. And, and uh, the runes incidentally have been very co-opted by white supremacists, mm -hmm. specifically Nazis, especially the rune Athala, which relates <laughs> to the inheritance of one's ancestors. But what this rune actually means um, is, you know, stepping into greater responsibility and stewardship of the land that you were born on of you know the world uh and how i've been working with it recently has been through um uh tapping into your true ancestral power has uh a lot of people kind of what whiteness has has both afforded and stolen from european people is is this dissociation from their true power and the mm. ability to steal power from others and to think that mm. it's theirs and so when i think of whiteness i think of you know we talked about this in our last uh, conversation of whiteness as an egregore i actually have i'll link this in the show notes as well i have this article i wrote it's called system as spirit body as host and it's talking about ritualizing decolonization and anti-racist work as opposed to just doing this weird because people are already doing it right people are like going to white people and going like you must repent for the sins of your fucking ancestors and the white people are going i have not been culturally given any resilience strategies so i'm just going to dissociate through this whole thing well and sure it's just white not people are struggling working. too yeah no because then, because at the root of it white supremacy is a tool of something else Mm -hmm. Right. And if you go back in history before they started colonizing uh, the rest of the world, they colonized themselves okay. and I each other on the web for colonizing. Check it out. <laughs> what happened? Oh, that's me. That's my phone. <laughs> oh, wait, phone. <laughs> that was Damn. so funny. <laughs> what, what happened? The robot was like, I want to be on your podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so what imperialism did is colonize Europe. Imperialism colonized Europe. So before imperialism, there were hundreds of tribes. There were like 600 tribes of European people, of indigenous European people, and they had their own languages. You know, you got things like the Gauls and the Celts and the whatever. <laughs> we, there's so Franks, many. The Angles, the Saxons, yes, 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 the Normans. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So all of these people had their own cultures, they had their own social systems, their own languages, their own religion, and then came imperialism and Christofascism, mm -hmm. right? And 
this happened, everything that Europeans did in other countries, they did it at home first. But there's a, it's this is not a sustainable thing, right? So, so what happens is they can only get away with it so long before the people start to rise up against them. And they're like, this is enough. <laughs> we're, we're not doing this anymore. Why should you be in control of me? Right. And you're burning us at the stake over the most ridiculous things and, you know, fostering all of this paranoia and superstition that actually was very, very violent. This oh, entire absolutely. turn the Druids on were women. Systematically, the Druids were systematically exterminated by the Romans. Absolutely. And they were they were essentially priests and earth stewards planting trees mm -hmm. and and the romans were killing them for planting trees yes. they were like you can't do this think about, and you can't speak your own language either totally think <laughs> so, about all of the the medicine women of europe being burned at the stake i mean this is and simultaneously and this is very ironic if you study the the, the oldest factions of the Catholic Church, they were using rituals and practices from pagan cultures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Many of their practices actually were hermetic. Mm -hmm. They still are actually. Unsurprised. Yeah. So it, it's not even, we have to really get past this idea that it's about the belief systems or the the, the opinions and all of that. It's it's not true. Ultimately, these are tools we've been lied to. The common folk have been taught to think in certain ways that the people who profit from us thinking like that don't even, they know it's a lie, <laughs> but it benefits them and it profits them for us to believe those things are true. Like the idea that there are um, people who are lesser human or who are who are less valuable as as human beings this is a completely made up thing so it, this is where i'm coming from with with all of this is that we have to begin to understand that there are very specific tactics and very specific experiences that we have that keep us under under that control and that also profit and perpetuate and and even collude sometimes with uh the oppressor and you know a lot of people kind of like to make this like it's an invisible person it's not really an invisible person in some like it's not the wizard of oz mm -hmm. <laughs> right mm -hmm. it's it's um very specific groups of families and very specific uh, lineages from Europe that are benefiting the most from all of this. And you will never see them. You will never know their names because it benefits them to not be able to put the target on them. Mm. Right. So we can talk all we want about racism being a horrible thing, but if we don't get to the bottom of why it exists and why we perpetuated ourselves, even though it doesn't benefit um, me and my white neighbor to be against each other. 
racism actually dumbs white people down. White privilege disadvantages white people in some ways and in, in ways that are insidious and invisible, at least to them. So, you know, one of the things that I, I talk about a lot is how the addiction to white privilege makes it so that you believe that all there is is what you see if you're a white person because you've been buffered from what's going on in the world. And then you go on the internet and you see what's happening in the Middle East and you're completely discombobulated because you don't understand what's happening. And then you separate yourself from it and judge it without even realizing that your own country, your own nation, your own society and its own, its economic structures are all profiting from that thing happening and that it's funded by us, right? But you don't have to think about that if you're white. So you can keep the, the very simplified fairy tale sort of storytelling in your head, right? The, the Cartman victim triangle where, you know, someone is either a victim, a savior or a villain. And there's no blurry, uh, there's no blurred lines there for most white people. And so- This brings me to my question, actually a question I wanted to um, to ask you was how this kind of all relates to your the work that you do, because a lot of what you're sharing here, I intuitively can just kind of tell. And also I follow you on Facebook and your writing <laughs> is brilliant and incisive. Okay. And I love people who, you know, just, they get to the point and you can feel their heart in the truth that they speak because a lot of people, they think because people are hurt by what they say that they're being honest. And so mm. they've got it inverted. But I think the way that you approach this incisive, direct, honest, it, there's a purity to it that you can just feel the love in. And it's there's there's an art to that. And so, you know, I, yeah. I have to, I see, I see it's, the work It's a relief to know that you can feel that. It's, it's a relief to me because I've always been a little bit, I've, I've always been a little sensitive, a little empathic. I've always also had a little bit of, I've been turned off a little bit by um, academics, however, extremely curious and loving knowledge and loving exploration. And I'm also like very, I'm very, I'm very intimate. I'm not, I don't it stresses me out to try and hide things or have to try and soften things. Or So I want to make sure that if I'm saying something that's difficult to hear, that I'm saying it as cleanly as I possibly can, as honestly as I can. I want to mean every single word of what I say and the tone with which I say it. Because if there's any dishonesty in it or any embellishment for the purpose of manipulation, then somebody's going to catch that. And then what I'm saying gets lost. You know, I could yell and scream at people easily. I feel those things in myself, right? I, I'm not, I'm not immune to those emotions. I feel the rage. I feel the anger. Um, 
I, I sometimes I feel the contempt, you know, but then I also know, listen, I'm a mother. I have a 26 year old son and I've raised him to be outspoken and <laughs> much to my chagrin, that means he's also very outspoken towards me and he will read me for filth. And <laughs> if I'm wrong, he will tell me immediately. And I care about that. I actually want his respect. I want to be trustworthy to him. And that has really, uh, that experience of that relationship has really um, enriched me and my ability to communicate in in ways that are grounded, but also very sincere. I don't want to leave any part of myself out of what I'm saying, but I also uh, don't want to leave in my wake a, a, a mess, right? I'm, I'm not here to wreak havoc. There's enough uh, chaos that happens naturally in confrontation with the truth, right? Because we're so uh, delusional and dissociated that when someone comes along and says, no, this is what's happening right here, and it's an actual fact, people have a, have a lot of trouble accepting or digesting that. And they resent you for that. I can't even tell you how many times I've been called a troublemaker or how many times I've been, uh, I've been told that I'm a pot stirrer. I'm like, no, well, some pots need to be stirred in order for the, the, the thing that you eat at the end to be, right. <laughs> you know. It's going <laughs> to stick to the bottom of the pan. Yes. And you're just going to have a bunch of burnt food. <laughs> and things stay separated, right? Things stay separated. Yeah. And that separation yeah. is not the truth. We are one. We are one. And this is something that, you know, we can talk about it in terms of race, but it's just a relationship thing. It's relationship. It's intimacy. It's connection. And we don't know how to fight because we live in violent societies. We abhor conflict. We don't actually hate conflict. We don't actually hate tension. We actually 
love those things. We seek those things out, you know, the, the I mean, mm-hmm. look at the books that we read, look at the television shows that we mm-hmm. watch, look at the horror movie industry, the fact sure. that we get on fucking roller coasters yes. and do bungee jumping. We love dangerous so violence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's a, a, yeah. But it's it's an obsessive thing. It's an it's like a we are trained and conditioned to think of it as the only answer because it's how we are controlled. It's how we are convinced to do what we do or be who we are, you know, because we're afraid of being ostracized or punished or uh, we're afraid of, this is how we are encouraged to be nice or be good people, so-called good people, or to be brave, all of those things are um, put upon us with the condition of, if you don't do these things, then you will be punished. And we punish ourselves and each other so much. It's, It's so deeply ingrained that we do it to ourselves, right? We shame ourselves we we hate ourselves we abuse ourselves all because we're so we're in deep relationship with violence it's it's what we know right and and we're afraid to let it go oh my gosh in america this idea the concept of not being able to have a gun in your house <laughs> you know like people think this is outrageous i should be able to have this like i need this well, okay, well, I don't know if you need it or not, but this idea that um, taking away machine guns or war weapons from civilians is a bad thing. Huh, I don't know about that. I don't know well, about it's that. A complex, it's a complex issue that I've been chewing on for quite some time now. And I... I know something is, I know I'm getting to the heart of something when I'm like, I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's an answer at all. Um, yeah. Guns and, and weapons. And I, I actually, my dad is a martial artist. So, and he's got, I don't know if this means anything to anybody, but it means a lot to me. He's got four planets in Aries and a Scorpio Mars. Is he, does he, is he a, swor- a swordman, a swordsman? He used to collect African swords, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has a few, but when I was a kid, he had way more. Um, and he does various martial arts. One of them, I can't remember what it's called, but it's you like do this thing with sticks, and like the sticks uh-huh. are meant to be villains for swords. I have a thing mm-hmm. for swords myself. I'm a huge fan of swords. I actually want to have a sword collection. I dream about swords. When mm-hmm. I pull tarot, I often get the queen of swords. I mean, I'm a writer, so and a poet. Um, and so, you know, there's just there's this there there are these qualities to reality. Reality is unkind. It is severe. It is also kind and generous. Well, you know, it is. Yeah, well, these things. things. A weapon is an inanimate object. Right. It's a tool. <laughs> it's a tool. What you right. use it for is what matters. Yeah. And I mean, I grew up with guns in our house. I know how to shoot a rifle. I know how to shoot a shotgun. My my father again, my father's a cowboy. So <laughs> I I know how to use these things. I also um know how to use a sword. I'm 
surrounded by martial artists. My my one of my colleagues, Impu Kamut, is a, a master of Tai Chi, Qigong, um, and several versions of African martial arts where they use swords and machetes and all kinds of things. And and I really and it's beautiful to watch, by the way. And and I'm also not nonviolent in my in my philosophy. Yeah. Now, a lot of people have philosophy has problems with it, because if you're not willing to address within you the violent part of you, which exists for your self-preservation, you will hurt others. (laughs) Yes. So in Hermeticism, we talk about polarity being uh, a principle where uh, that is not binary, um, that the universe is not binary. There is no separation between good and evil. There's no separation between cold and hot. There's no separation between up and down, right? So the opposites are not separate. They are measures or dynamics in different directions of one thing, right? So if that is true, then there's no separation at all between opposites. And when we um, when we think in that way, we're oversimplifying and we're disabling ourselves. So it's very important to think about like, it's not the gun that's bad. It's not um, the martial art or being the fighting skills that are bad. Um, it's not <laughs> It's not the Palestinians <laughs> that are bad for defending themselves. I just, I, I think that people just, um, because it's convenient and it's pacifying, people like to talk about nonviolence in the sense that um, that's the solution to everything. Well, okay, if we're all going to agree to that. Right. If we're literally all going to agree to it and agree on what it means. Right. Which, because- what's the likelihood of that? <laughs> Let's there is no like real. There's because here's zero the, percent. It's like a negative a thousand percent chance. Yeah, <laughs> a, a tree would say that we're violent for cutting it down. And I, I in in my initiates path course, we're going to be watching the movie A Secret Life of Plants next week. And <laughs> this movie is a is a, about a study that happened, well, first in Japan, I think it was, maybe it was Korea, I don't remember. But they, they did this study and they put these electrical nodes on a plant in one room and they put them on another plant in another room. I believe they were cabbage plants. And, and then they cut the plant in the one room and the plant in the other room responded with a spike in its electrical vibrations or whatever. They also had a man, uh, they did the experiment again and had a man stand in the in the presence of a plant and think about cutting it and the plant responded. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about violence and be all simplistic with it, then we've got to consider there's no way that we could live there's no way that anything lives without some um, some element of destruction happening. Destruction is part of life. 
It's a part of the universe. And it is also a part of change, which is a basic element of the universe. So, and, and evolution, by the way, <laughs> there are a lot of things because of evolution don't exist anymore. And so we've really got to think about this much more in a much more complex way and with a little bit more understanding of the universe even. And, and we don't have that. So this is part of how we can be controlled, right? Because we don't actually, we're afraid of knowing these things. And people who talk about these things, people call them uh, conspiracy theorists or whack jobs, you know, like, oh, they're just, she's just a weirdo or, you know what I mean? So even for the longest time, I know it's a lot more accepted now, but Black people being involved in things like hoodoo or voodoo or uh, any of our traditional religions from Africa would be considered weird with with no acknowledgement of where we come from and why we think that way. When I was growing up, I had a um, this book by Virginia Hamilton, and it was a compilation of um, African folk tales, specifically mm-hmm. Pan-African folk tales, um, like diasporic stuff. And, mm-hmm. and there was one that my mother wouldn't let us read. And it was about a boo. It was about a boo hag, and she didn't want mm-hmm. us associating with the idea of, of a hag, which is really interesting because the hag is so crucial to the like what we're actually talking about here with destruction and time and this quintessential aspect of, you know, the universe that people want to avoid is the hag. It's the medicine of the hag. The hag is sure. It's so the mother. It's the mother. It's- yeah, it's the grandmother uh, archetype. It's the the uh, oh god, why am I going blank all of a sudden? Uh, the elder, the you know, she's yeah. the wise woman, and yeah, yeah, and she is scary. She's supposed mm-hmm. to be scary, <laughs> mm-hmm. but she's also the one that nurtures and feeds you, and you know, takes care of you. But she can cut you without yeah. picking up a knife. I have right? a good story for you actually, that I want to tell you. It is the story of how a hawthorn bush fucked me up. Because the hawthorn, the the hawthorn and and the rose family, the rose and I think the rowan as well, they're these thorny plants that have medicine and you can't get them, like, the thorns will fuck you up. Like, the hawthorn specifically has a particular kind of bacteria on its thorn that uh, I was actually poked in the eye with it and I read, Oh my god! medicinal plants book of course the doctors I went to didn't fucking know this at all I had to look I had to look it up myself I had a, you know a book on medicinal plants that said warning a scratch from the hawthorn needle in the eye can cause blindness it caused me oh I was like hallucinating for two weeks I was what? pretty pretty sure I was maybe dying as but every doctor I went to was like we don't know what's happening um you know and so the hawthorn but the hawthorn's fruit has a very powerful medicine for the heart. It's a cardiotonic. Wow. Uh, the rose as well uh, is a cardiotonic as well as a nervine, as mm-hmm. well as a, it's like a panacea. And so this 
medicine, you know, and the lesson I learned there is that like, there's medicine that is guarded for a reason. Mm -hmm. These these plants demand that you handle them with care. They will fuck you up. They have to be respected. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what I think of with the hag is like, um, uh, and this is again, why I love your work is because like you hold this archetype so well of like, a um, uh, the spell I, I sort of created around this was like, I am delicate. I'm fragrant. I am beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I am guarded by thorns for a reason. Yes. Because that yes. kind of like really sweet, nurturing, beautiful medicine is exactly what is being exploited by the powers that be right now. That beautiful, yep. soft, nurturing, flowering energy. You know, there's a, we cut the we cut the thorns off of roses because we don't want to handle them with the care that they demand. Yeah. Well, isn't this a great analogy for uh, misogyny? It's it's literally exactly <laughs> exactly that. But also, I would say, and this is misogyny too. But the way you know, the way that the patriarchy harms men. Oh, has yes. to do with this as well. It doesn't honor their softness, their nurturing, their tending, their their. Yeah. Well, their I heart. use misogyny very loosely. Yeah. Uh, really, it's like it's a, the destruction of the feminine or the rejection of the feminine in order to be to artificially control or artificially mind power, and that's been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years, people have been trying to control or subdue the feminine. And and uh, portray the feminine as that that thorn, and uh, talk about the beauty part as dangerous because of the thorn. But then, <laughs> if you look at history, almost all of the atrocities that have actually happened were it was not women. it's not women you know it's men and well then they will say that a lot of those men did what they did for women (laughs) well woman as resource they didn't do it for women as human though exactly yeah they did it to to have to possess something that cannot be possessed that can Mm -hmm. never belong to anyone um it can be stewarded it can be held but ultimately yeah. like the real you know the feminine principle in the universe as far as i see it and i've experienced it is not something that can be had it is only something that can be experienced and if mm-hmm. you honor the transience and the changeability of it then you're you know we're in business but if you try to have it really terrible things the terrible things that we happen to be experiencing on many levels throughout the world right now i would argue are largely in part to not honoring the feminine principle in men. And that's why a lot of the atrocities that we've seen in history are perpetuated by men is because their hearts have been stolen. You know, well, we have to think about like, when did we become so disconnected from our godship? Like, when did we and how did we get to a point where, and it's mostly in Western societies, um, disconnected so very disconnected from our divinity that we had to create artificial power so that we could feel godlike and that's really what it's all about 
you know, anything that we're trying, when we're trying to control nature, trying to control each other, all of it is about that longing to feel in control as an, as a compensation for our loss of connection to our divinity. And it's still there. We're just mentally disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why so- I take the spiritual approach. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, you cannot um, talk about any of this without realizing, oh, people who behave in these ways don't know that they are God. They don't know that they are divine. Because if they knew they were divine, they wouldn't fear each other the way they do. They wouldn't fear women the way they do. They would see women as a part of themselves. They would see femininity or or feminine energy as a part of their own expression, and they would honor it, right? There's a separation, there's a dissociation happening there. That's that's my take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, that's that's my take too. Uh, on some level, I would say that there are other other factors, but but we mm-hmm. nobody here is you know. I I understand how you operate at this point, and I'm like this as well. Anything that I say or that you say is is absolutely not the end all be all. This is what it is, and there's nothing of more. Course. There's always something that can be added or or shifted. You know, as 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 circumstances shift and change mm-hmm. and, and so that that openness to the possibility that one might either be wrong or that there's a nuance to add to the conversation it's kind of implicit in what we're talking about here especially since we are you know oh, we brought yeah. up change as a as a principle of the universe and i'd love to ask you a very pointed question what the hell is spirituality i actually kind of hate the word spirituality and the word <laughs> spiritual because it's such a pulp Oh, <laughs> such a platitude these days it's like people will like yeah it's spiritual i'm like into crystals and it's like a crystal is a fucking rock my guy like what is your yes. relationship to that rock because there are sedimentary you know i actually collect rocks and some of the rocks i collect are are cement mm-hmm. you know they're not fancy fucking amethyst that i brought mm-hmm bought from the crystal store for $20 it's like mm-hmm. broken cement from from construction because that, that's the energy I wanted to bring in for some reason like I just felt yeah. drawn to it and people think that this you know what it means to be spiritual is 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 to like do specific things that other people told you were spiritual so that you can like yes. win something or like gain something or feel good about yourself well, and see. and I would argue that it's literally just being present. <laughs> you're going to you're going to make me hurt somebody's feelings here. <laughs> See, I I think oh, no. I think the same way about the the word magic as I think about spirituality, right? So in hermeticism, we understand very clearly that the principles of Hermeticism were written thousands of years ago by Africans who were exquisite observers of nature. They were scientists. So spirituality is all the stuff we can't see and don't understand yet. Spirituality is the practice of staying in connection, even though 
you can't see the thing. Um, magic <laughs> is the practice of having a relationship with things we don't completely scientifically understand. Science is not the be all to end all. Scientists do not talk about their quote unquote facts as facts. They call them theories for a reason. And scientists uh, who are true scientists are actually more spiritual than you think because they're constantly seeking out more information in the, in the realm of the unknown. And part of that involves imagination. And part of it involves practice, scientific theory, scientific method. These things are practices. They are rituals that are used in order to collect information to try and get closer and closer to knowing the universe. That is what science is. And it all stems from the religion of ancient Egypt. So, and, and not just the religion of ancient Egypt, but all indigenous peoples have their own versions of that. Just so happens that Egypt became this huge you know, metropolis, this empire where a lot of people would pilgrimage to. And so there was a collection of knowledge there. Um, but that's how I think of magic. Magic is not what you read about in a fairy tale because those fairy tales don't actually tell you where did that witch come from? Why is she in the forest away from the rest of society? Why do they hate her so? Why? Oh, okay. She's mean. Why is she mean? But she just was born like that. <laughs> no one ever did anything to her that made her angry. She's just. <laughs> right. Because we've forgotten that good and evil are on one sliding polarity. And what we call evil, we're all capable of, even though we want to dissociate ourselves from being, from, from knowing we're capable of. We dissociate ourselves from it so that we can uh, punish the other person, right? So magic for me is really, um, it's the practice, and there's people who are so full of shit. So many people are full of shit. This, <laughs> all these people with their crystals and all that. Sure, I have some crystals here, but you will not hear me talking about it or flashing them on the internet. Um, and I'm very particular and very specific about what I have um, for their actual properties, their chemical makeup and their uh, their frequencies. People talk about these things and don't have a clue that really it's that everything is is connected there's no separate spiritual realm that's in some other place it's right here it's right here it's in you and me it's in the electricity running through this computer it's in whatever magical things are happening inside the computer that make it so that you and I can talk to each other in real time it's wacky <laughs> right so it's all magic people would have thought this was sorcery a thousand years ago this is completely unrelated to our conversation, but I just did speaking of, cause I wanted to talk about sensation frames. And like, I did a high sensation thing for myself, which is like put a photo of myself, which is like really hot. And it's just my face. And it's just like, just I'm wearing, that to you, right? like, yeah. 
and I don't like wear makeup most of the time and they put a lot of, I was modeling it was a modeling gig and they did an exchange for the photos you get the photos for free and 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 some she also gave us some organic makeup and I was like yes I have sensitive skin like part of the reason why I don't wear makeup it's not because I hate makeup it's because like one, I have a very, like, I have just one of those faces where if you put makeup on me, I look like a clown. So I have to be very careful um, with That's how cool. I adorn my face. Usually I like to put just face paint on and just be like, whoa, well, if I'm going to look like a clown, I'm going to do it on purpose. Um, but I put this photo up of myself, which is like very sexy, just like very sexy. And I hate, I hate it. I like don't want that on there. But I was like, what? So listen, so right before, literally like seconds yeah. before we got on this call, I yeah. saw that picture, just a flash of it right before okay. we got on this call. And I was like, oh, okay, girl. <laughs> yeah, it's so, I think you have a little bit of dysmorphia. I think you have a little bit of dysmorphia because I don't I believe have, either. You don't know how to. Put... Okay. Gender dysphoria. Okay. But I've had gender dysphoria that, since I was nine years old. But would that make you uh, see your face as looking like a clown? I I don't know. As as a no. makeup artist, I would say either you just maybe don't haven't found your your makeup that you yeah, like. It's, no, it's yeah. minimal. It's here's the thing. Okay. I'll I'll clarify. I'll clarify. So. <laughs> That particular shoot, she was putting a lot of makeup on us on mm -hmm. purpose so that people could see the makeup because she runs a herbal organic makeup company where she's she selling makes makeup. her own. Yeah, she's selling yeah. makeup. So they wanted to make sure they could see the makeup. And specifically, like my face is very youthful. So if I have a lot of blush on, which they put a fuckload of blush on me in that photo, I have a lot of blush on, I'm like, Mm, I don't like the way that looks when I would put on yeah, makeup yeah. on myself it's very like I go for the like no makeup makeup look where it's very mm -hmm. subtle because anything like it's either subtle or it's extreme where like I will it makes put you look the like a little on. kid trying to look like a grown-up it does it makes me look like a kid trying to look like uh -huh. a grown-up because my face my facial archetype is like very youthful it's very round my features are very soft um so just like it's just certain people like the kinds of makeup that are mostly usually popular these days don't look good on me for the most part. I know how to do my own makeup. I usually don't wear it because again, like time sensitive skin. I just like to fucking I don't want to feel it on my face, like whatever. But I really like that photo um, because of the look in my eyes. <laughs> By the way, it's like yeah. Can we can we change the subject just a little bit? Because I want to go yeah, back please. to the gender dysphoria. I would, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. So what I was talking about, about polarity, applies there as well. Mm -hmm. So this idea that we are one thing or the other mm -hmm. is a construct. Mm -hmm. A geneticist, if you ask them, if you put them, put them in a corner and ask them, is this true? They will say, no, there are no binaries. Mm -hmm. There is no binary gender. We are all a range. And the fact that we're some of us have more connection to ourselves, um, <laughs> what, what the world calls dysphoria is actually you being more authentically connected to yourself and who you truly are.
right? So well, I would, I would, I would say yes, but also it's the the dysphoria is the dissonance between who I know myself to be and who I've been told I am. Right. That's really what it is. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I do oftentimes like just struggle with the programming and of mm-hmm. like what am I like am I a woman well yes mm-hmm. and there's a man inside of me too and that's like a part of why I can do the yeah. ritual magical work that I do is because mm-hmm. you know but, but I do believe everyone saying. has that polarity inside of them for sure there's but no there are also... oh there's feminine energy there's <laughs> masculine there's feminine energy and there's masculine energy and we all have both and in different degrees. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, listen, there's ways that I'm very masculine and some men find it offensive or intimidating, you know, that I'm very, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm, I'm like the boss of everything it's I do. Right? Kind of. <laughs> And I, you know, I consider myself heterosexual, but I also experience myself being attracted to women sometimes. And I don't think that's a big deal. It's just, I think it's nature. And I I don't think that it needs to be controversial or explained. It just is what it is because there's opposites are not separate. Like if we could... If everybody were to learn those seven principles of hermeticism, they'd understand everything else much easier. Opposites are not separate. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and we've, again, this is another one of those circumstances where we've been organized. <laughs> we've been given these conventions to organize us into categories so that in uh, larger societies, we could we could be managed right? Um, When there were no big civilizations, it was completely normal for people to speak of themselves in the full range of their gender expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And indigenous communities. A lot of indigenous people uh, recognize absolutely three and five genders it's extremely common Mm -hmm. in those in that Mm -hmm. societal structure and i think it's because when you're actually in relationship to the earth which is non-binary um you that demands fluidity of you that's how you survive and in a world where we categorize and analyze and separate everything of course we need to do that to ourselves in order to be in relationship to that entity so yeah. you know, reduces a lot of our me- reduces our dynamicism, our ability to function in a natural way, right? Um, there are times when people who are genderized as women really need their masculine tools, and they yeah. don't have access <laughs> to, them, right? And they don't use them because they would be punished or ostracized for doing so, right? They would be called manish or that's what they used to call it back in the day (laughs) they call it manish if you were you know if you were too flirtatious with men for example or you know uh, in some way too bossy or even just going after a career within my lifetime that was still controversial i'm 58 i'm not that old 
Mm-hmm. And so if, and it, it's, it's not just oppressive to the oppressed person, the, the blatantly oppressed person, it's oppressive to everyone because even those who benefit are, they weaken themselves and the, and the more they protect themselves, the weaker they get, the more isolated um, and above it all they think they are, the weaker they get. And then they need more and more. That's where that insati- insatiation comes from. That's where greed comes from. Because if you don't see yourself as a whole being, then you live in a state of scarcity and you have to have more and more compensation for that. Make sense? Thanks for listening to today's episode featuring Bridge Feltus. To check out Bridge's work and music, check out the links in the show notes. And stay tuned for part two. I also released an article the same day as this episode, so if you're interested to read about the deconstruction of altars and being an animistic relationship to sacred objects, you can also check that out in the links below. Also in the show notes is my moving to Asheville fun. I'm moving in just four short weeks. So if you like what I'm doing over here at the Oscillator Stone and you're not a paid subscriber, but you don't want to like commit to anything, consider throwing me a buck or two there. It really does make a difference, even if it's just a dollar. If you yourself are a magician of any sort and you'd like to be featured on the podcast to talk about your practice, you can go ahead and shoot me an email. My email is below. And if you're looking for someone to work with one-on-one to refine your ritual art practice, I do one-to-one sessions. You can also, also, also find the links for that below. Thanks again, friends. Take care and live magically. Here is Bridges' final song. Bye.
Yeah. 